Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Ruth Sukup. She's got a brand new book out called Do It Scared, Finding the Courage to Face Your Fears, Overcome Obstacles, and Create a Life You Love. And you can guess it pretty easily. The topic of this conversation is fear. And there's a ton of great research that we start to dig into in this conversation from her book. And specifically, we talk about the seven distinct ways that fear can play out in our lives and hold us back. And as you know, one of the components of productivity is getting things done, doing things. And one of the major pieces when it comes to fear is paralysis, stopping you. So in other words, fear can be an obvious recurring roadblock to your productivity which is why it's great to have a conversation like this. And so in the conversation, Ruth and I talk about uh, three of the fears that play out for me. I wanted to make this personal for you. And then some of the ways that that can be overcome. And then even moving into an action plan to starting to get things done, even when you are scared. Again, hence doing it scared, not just alleviating the fear or overcoming the fear, but moving past it and doing it whether you're still scared or not. So this is a great conversation to gain more awareness on what fears you may have that are holding you back. Some you may not even be aware of, or maybe you are, but you just don't know that they are fear masking itself as some sort of truth as we get into in this conversation as well. So uh, I know you're really going to enjoy this. I know I had a great time talking with Ruth. So here you go. Enjoy this conversation with Ruth Sukup. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Ruth Sukup. Ruth, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So this is a topic that uh, sometimes can be I don't know. It can be difficult or maybe a little bit weird to talk about, especially when it comes to productivity, but it ties directly into it. We're going to talk about fear. And for me, fear is something that gives you paralysis. And when it comes to productivity, it's all about action, or at least we often talk about action. There's way more to productivity than just taking action. There's taking a break. There's having rest. There's taking time to decide what the right action is. But again, once you've decided what the right action is and you're going to do it, if fear gets in the way and stops you, not a good thing. I think fear is directly related to productivity. So yeah, in so many ways. Yeah. So, But you got a great brand new book out called Do It Scared, Finding the Courage to Face Your Fears, overcome adversity, and create the life you want. And by the way, I'm impressed. You've got both Dan Miller and Michael Hyatt, two of my friends, both endorsing the book. So 
It's got to be good. The best. <laughs> they, uh, they that's are the so best. funny. I didn't know if Dan Miller was one of your friends. That's who I was just getting off the phone with. That's why oh, I was that's a few awesome. minutes late. That's <laughs> awesome. So that's that's really cool. Yeah, I've uh, I've stayed at his sanctuary a number of times. That was my throwback Thursday on Instagram last week. Was oh, yeah. I took a like a really cool shot of his? I don't know if it's silver or what kind of metal it is, but he's got these great eagles. Uh, there, one that's carved of wood and one that's kind of done out of metal. And you can see it from his office there. And that was what I posted. And I thought, you know, I was sitting there reflecting on, you know, how great it is to be able to, to visit and, you know, hang out with people that have years on you in age, but more so in wisdom. And Dan's just always been there. So that's yeah. great. Yes, he is one of one of my favorite people. Yeah, for sure. So, well, I would love to hear. I mean, obviously, there's a story behind creating a book like this. And usually it's born out of, you know, your own personal story. So I'd love to hear a little bit of a preface here about like, what is your personal story? What is your relationship (laughs) with, what is your relationship with fear? No, (laughs) (laughs) That's a big question. Yeah. You know, this, this book definitely was um, born a little bit out of my own story. And I certainly talk a a little bit about my own story in the book. And, but also it was, really born out of the experiences of of my audience and the things that people were coming to me and saying and the themes that I started noticing. But I'm happy to start by by sharing a little bit of my my own story, especially um as a just as a person, as an adult, as an entrepreneur. I so my I think my adult story starts really in my early 20s. I went through a really bad bad depression, very serious depression. And um, it very nearly ended my life. I had um, multiple suicide attempts and um, ended up in the hospital on life support with less than a 10% chance of waking up with my worst suicide attempt. I spent two and a half years in and out of psychiatric hospitals. And um, at the end of all of that, you know, I found myself divorced, bankrupt, at complete rock bottom, I had done, you know, all sorts of self-harm and self-destructive behavior. So I I looked like hell, you know, my I chopped off all my hair and I had piercings and and had cut up my arms and legs and just was really, really not in a good place. And so I got through, you know, got to the end of that. In fact, I was I you know, doctors tried all different treatments. They tried all different medications and nothing really worked. And they finally resorted to electroshock therapy, which most people don't even know that they still do. Mm. Um, but they do. And then finally they finished that and said, okay, there's nothing more we can do for you. You, that we can't help you. And, um, they sent me home to my dad's house. Basically, I think they sent me home to die. And, um, that was really the moment where I was like, I have ruined my entire life. I'm 24 years old. I've got no friends. I've got no degree. I've got <laughs> no money. I've got no job. I've got literally nothing. And it was completely and utterly terrifying to be in that place with with no hope. And so stayed in that place probably for a few months. And I would lay in bed all day long and couldn't even get the energy to even get out of bed until finally my dad who could not stand, could not stand watching that. You know, I can't, and now that I'm a parent, I have a lot more sympathy for how excruciating that must've been for, cause I can't imagine watching your child be in that much pain. And he finally, finally convinced me, begged and pleaded with me, but finally convinced me to just go to the gym three times a week and walk on the treadmill for a half an hour each time. So then I would literally go and just 
put one foot in front of the other for a half an hour and then go back to bed. But eventually I think it was just the process of putting that one foot in front of the other that gave me enough of something. I don't even know what it was enough of something to then say, okay, well maybe something could be different. And so I ended up calling a therapist. I got out the phone book. This was back when there were still phone books, (laughs) got out the phone book and kind of just picked one and called her up. And I said, I've just spent the last two and a half years talking about every bad thing that's ever happened to me. It hasn't worked. I'm not better. I don't want to talk about it anymore. And all I really need to know now is how to live because I don't even know how to do that. And so that was what she helped me do. And she, again, literally helped me put one foot in front of the other, doing the, just the smallest things at first. It was learning how to go to the grocery store without having a panic attack and then getting a part-time job and then getting a full-time job and then getting an apartment and moving out on my own and then going back to school. And eventually, one very small step at a time, I was able to put back the pieces of my life. And I, you know, I ended up going to law school and drop then dropping out of law school. But I met the man who um, then became my second husband. And eventually we got married and I had a couple of kids. And so fast forward a few years where I had put my life back together and um, found myself in 2010 as a stay-at-home mom of two little kids and decided to start a blog and <laughs> a blog about living well and spending less. And I very quickly after starting this blog went, oh my gosh, there's people who are making making money on the internet. I think I could do that. I want to I want to do that too. And so I decided to turn this blog into a business and decided to learn everything I possibly could about the business side of having an online business or having a having a blog and what that looked like and what that meant. And eventually then was able to build that up and to a very successful business. Um, In 2013, my husband was able to retire from his job and my business has continued to grow to what it is now, which is a a $5 million company, a multimedia company. We've got, you know, all sorts of different things going on. But when I look back on that, and especially my journey as an entrepreneur, it's, there's so many parallels to my journey with depression because I feel like every step of the way, it's been taking one step at a time and just doing things, doing it scared every single step of the way. That was my motto. That was actually my personal motto when I was going through through that depression. And then it became the first core value of my company. And it's something that I started sharing with my audience. And that's where the idea for the book came in because what I noticed was that it was resonating with so many people. Yeah. So that's, that's where we are today. Wow. So I, one, I got a, like two or three observations real quick. Number one, you started off with some really heavy stuff there. And I, I do want to say the way that you talk about it in such a, not a positive light, but with a positive tone that it means that you've really like gone through it and come out the other end and are, a, I mean, a, you're still yourself, but you're, you're a different person. In yes. a way, yeah. And so there's that. But I also don't want to just go into the rest of our conversation saying, yeah, yeah no, she dealt with depression. Da, da, da. Like that was really heavy stuff. And so if anybody out there has any issues with that, don't like make light of that. Right. Like, no. that would, I mean, that would be your experience or your, um, you know, reaching out yeah. to them. You'd give them and- that advice. I'm glad that I'm glad that you said that. And I because sometimes I forget because I have you're exactly right. Like I've walked that road. I have gone through it. I have experienced that. And I I, I can talk about it now to the point where it's not 
it's not difficult for me to talk about it. It's not emotional because I've, I've, I've moved past it. And that has taken me 20 years, but I remember being in that place. And I, this is actually why I, why I like talking about it and why I, and I hope that if you are listening and you have, you have been experiencing, you know, depression or anything similar to that, that what I remember from that time is that I would never see anyone who had come out the other side. And so, cause when you're in the hospital, when you're in a psychiatric hospital, kind of, I think it's a, similar to rehab, which I've never been to rehab, but I've heard it's the same way. It's almost like a revolving door. The same people just keep coming back over and over and over again because nobody ever gets better. And so you start to feel like there is no hope. There's no hope that once you once you are labeled with this, either once you're labeled with that, you don't get to take away that label, that you're always going to be that way. And I remember I used to say that to my doctors. Well, how can you tell me I'm going to get better? Nobody ever gets better. You can't point to one single person that's gotten better. And now I get to be that person for people to say there is there is hope. It is hard work and you are going to have to work through some hard stuff and you will have to feel the pain because I think for for me for so long, I was so desperate to not feel those feelings and to not experience the pain that I was feeling that I would, that's where the self-harm came from. That's where all the self-destructive behavior came from because mm-hmm. I didn't want to feel anything. So feeling physical pain was easier than feeling the emotional pain. But when I was finally able to walk through it and come out the other side, that is, and, and to do it scared along the way, that, that is where now I can be at a point where I can say, if I, if I can build this multi-million dollar company, having gone through everything that I went through, there is hope for you no matter where you are at right now. I promise you there is not anything that you've screwed up so badly that you can't, you can't still redeem it and make something great of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And and again, it's going to be, everybody's got a different story. Things are, you know, your circumstance is different from others and you know, but, but reach out, find somebody, get help, and again, let, let, much like as we move into the rest of this conversation and talk about how fear uh, can be a factor into that, uh, fear is also something that is different. It's it's different for everybody the way they experience it. Or a better way to put it maybe would be fear holds us all back in different ways. Yes. Yes. And that was the really cool part that came out of the research for this book. So what happened was that, you know, I started hearing so many people in my community talking, saying things, not even necessarily like, I feel so afraid, but I feel stuck or I feel like I'm sitting on the sidelines of my own life. And you talk about going after your big goals and dreams. And I don't know, I don't, I just want to want something. I don't know how to do that. And it got me so curious. And so I started digging deeper and we ended up surveying more than 4,000 people over the course of this research and it it was more data than I even knew what to do with to the point where we had to hire a whole team of researchers and psychologists to help us get through all the data and make sense of it all. But what we discovered is that fear really does look different for everyone. We all experience fear, but the way that it manifests itself is, is, a little bit unique for every single person, but there are some some distinct patterns that happen. There's seven seven patterns that we recognize that were, are called the seven fear archetypes, 
And so we each have a little bit of all seven of these archetypes, but usually for most people, there's one or two or sometimes even three or four that are most prevalent and therefore probably most impacting your life. But what's really interesting about that is that all of the fear or most of the fear that's happening, we don't even experience it necessarily as fear. What we experience it as is as truth because it's happening subconsciously. And so once you can start to recognize those patterns and the way that fear is playing out in your life, that's when you can start to do something about it. So you can recognize the fear archetype and then go, oh my gosh, I was just experiencing this as truth, but now I see now I see the, how this pattern is holding me back. I was trying to figure out what my fear archetype was. And as I was going through it, now that you've said that, now that you've said this idea of uh, fear likes to... It, what? How did you put it? Fear likes to hide as the truth or presents itself as the truth? Yes, we experience it. We don't experience it necessarily as fear. We experience it as truth because it happens subconsciously. So it just happens. Right. It, these are just the, this is the way that we feel and the thoughts that happen automatically without us really realizing it. So gotcha. it ex- experiences, it's the experience is not that, oh, this is my fear, but this is my truth. Yes, but it, but since it is fear, it's not the truth. It's actually a lie that we believe is the truth. Yes, exactly. So, for example, the the first archetype is the procrastinator, and that's when you're afraid to make a mistake. So the fear would be that you're going to make a mistake, but it presents itself as a truth that I make mistakes. Yes, that or so for a lot of times, the procrastinator is another word for perfectionist. Mm-hmm. So the way that it might explain the way you might experience is it is I'm just a perfectionist. I like everything just has to be right all the time. I like things to be perfect and there's nothing wrong with that. I want it to be perfect. And that might be the truth that you're experiencing and not even realizing that what like the deeper fear there is this fear of making a mistake. And it's a fear that could actually be holding you back. And I think it's important to recognize too, with all of these seven fear archetypes, that there are actually positive positive qualities of each one. So they are all fears and they all have negative sounding names and there are a lot of negative qualities in each one, but there are also benefits. There are parts of the, each of these fears that serve us, which is why we cling to them because they're the things that make us feel safe too. Yeah, I can see that when I'm looking at them and I'm thinking of, uh, I'm trying to think of another example that kind of rung true for me. So let's see here. I had marked them. Let's see. Okay. So the excuse maker, when you're most afraid of taking responsibility and I'm trying to think of how, so then how do I spin that? Well, you help me, coach me. <laughs> you know what <laughs> well, I'm, so you know what you're talking about. Maker, there's that under that underlying fear of being blamed or being pinned down or of having other people hold you hold you accountable or hold your feet to the fire for something. So there's the excuse maker, the way that I explain that for the excuse maker is they're the friend that never wants to pick the restaurant because if people don't like it, then it's their fault. And so that is, so what you're experiencing then, the truth that you're experiencing is I can't let anything be my fault. Mm-hmm. Like nothing can, nothing can be my fault. It can't be my fault because then that'll mean something's wrong with me. If, if I'm to blame for this, then something's wrong with me. So I'm always looking for someone else, some, uh, some reason. And a lot of times those excuses even happen so naturally and so and fall and come so easily that we don't even recognize them for excuses. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> that's that one definitely rings true for me. The restaurant excuse or the restaurant <laughs> <laughs> metaphor there, the example. Uh, I even have a, a, a couple of friends of mine where that's exactly how we all are. And 
So we've kind of gotten into the ritual of, okay, you know what? We're never going to end up going anywhere or eating anything if we don't just choose something. And then let's just throw it out there and see how it feels. Like, let's try that on and say, do we feel like that? Mm, yeah, I'm in. And, you know, and if, you know, and since we all don't really care, <laughs> then, yeah. you know, it maybe works. So sometimes it's really easy to self diagnose, but, uh, but sometimes it's not quite, quite as easy to, to self diagnose. But I, a lot of times as you're reading it, you'll, what, and what I've noticed from the people who have been able to have get in, get their hands on an early copy of the book, they can easily recognize friends and family in the different mm-hmm. archetypes. They can go, oh, I know, I totally know somebody who's yeah. an excuse maker. I know somebody who's a self-doubter. But when it comes to seeing your own things, sometimes it's a little bit harder, which is why the assessment can be a really valuable tool. Yeah, I, I can tell you right now, I definitely recognized family and friends. And I think, <laughs> I think the three that stuck out to me the most were it was procrastinator, it was uh, excuse maker. Those are the two we've actually already mentioned. And then I think the third one was was actually the pessimist. So oh, really? and, and I was just like, oh, but it, <laughs> I think it I think it is like, you know, it, it's adversity. That's why, um, you know, when it comes to like, that's why. OK, the, and I know why, because adversity to me is like when something gets really, really challenging. But that's also why I really like watching like the Rocky movies or Batman, somebody who like, you know, pulls themselves up and overcomes the adversity. Yes. So, yeah. Well, and for the pessimist, a lot of times the pessimist is one where it's somebody who has experienced mm-hmm. um, something hard or some sort of adversity, legitimate adversity. So either an illness or financial hardship or some sort of tragedy or trauma or being betrayed by someone else or, you know, something that is actually like quite serious. But what happens for the pessimist is that instead of looking at that, looking at that as an opportunity to overcome, they sort of stay stuck there and want to close in and, and not overcome anything else because they're afraid that, you know, why should I, why should I even bother? It's just, I'm just going to get hurt again or I'm just going to experience pain again. So I, and that is where, that is where that fear can hold you back and keep you stuck. If you get stuck in that victim mentality. Yeah. So, so I guess I really should just take the test and now see, and now that <laughs> I, I wanted to study them all first and then kind of take it. So, you know, you can do it either way. I think yeah. that it's really like, it can be helpful either way to learn about them first and then to take it or to take it like knowing what you already are. I actually, I would think that I would probably want to do it the way that you were doing it. Too, I didn't get that option because I wrote the book. But <laughs> yeah, well, and it, um, and it fits but, me. I'm I'm an Enneagram five, so my whole thing is like, oh, I want to gather as much information as I can, and then so it fits me to a T to to have gone that route. Well, and if you and if you resonated a lot with the procrastinator slash perfectionist, then probably that you probably have a little. That sounds like you have a little bit of that in there too. Yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, so so people can take the test without grabbing the book. Is that? possible yes. they can do that yeah, on your site just so. go to our website okay. at doitscared.com and take that right. um take that assessment and we have a free version and a premium version and the premium version is the it it gives you the free version gives you your top archetype the premium version gives you a lot more in-depth information about your top three and how they interact together and then gives you your overall fear score and shows you how you 
how you rate on all seven of them. And right now we have um, bonuses available with the book. So if you, you've ordered the book, you can get the assessment, the premium assessment as one of the bonuses. Perfect. So that's if you're planning on, if you're interested in this topic and planning on ordering the book, I would definitely do that before upgrading to the premium assessment. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'll make sure to link that. I'll link that up in the show notes for this episode so pe- people can find it uh, real easy and uh, then they can move on from there. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We've talked a bit about the fear archetypes. I don't want to go, I don't want to dwell on the fear. I don't want to dwell on fear in general in life, but I also don't want to dwell on fear in this conversation right here. I want to talk about the fact that you can do it scared. So you can go on and you won't really ever get rid of the fear per se, but you can then still act anyway. But there's a path to that. So before you get to the point of having an action plan and being able to follow through on it, you have to come up with finding your courage. This this sounds very um what's the cowardly lion from <laughs> you know, it's like if I just had courage. But uh I love how the the book is basically plotted out into 
three different sections of seven points each, basically. So it's like part one, fear, part two, courage, part three, action plan. I mean, that's so simple. And so in, and then also broken down into those seven things. So it's like, it's super easy to follow, but let's talk about courage. Like, it's not as simple as this. It's not as simple as saying, okay, I know my fear archetype. Now I can go pick out my one principle of courage that applies to that. It's all the principles no, apply. It's so, all the principles. Yes. So, so you can go back to that fear archetype and you can say, hey, you just one fear archetype. I've got seven different principles of courage to overcome you. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I mean, really what it is in the, where the principles of courage fit in is that regardless of which archetype resonates strongest with you. I mean, and there really are, it's helpful to identify it because then you can start to see where the patterns are happening and what has previously been happening subconsciously now starts happening consciously and you can start to go, oh, okay, these are the thoughts that are happening. Now I need to replace these thoughts. Well, what do you replace it with? What you replace it with is exactly what we talk about in the principles of courage. It's a new set of core beliefs that are going to expand your horizons a little bit and help you overcome what have previously been these limiting beliefs that are happening subconsciously. And so some of these principles will definitely resonate for some people with certain archetypes more than others, but they are sort of universal principles of courage that I think can help you no matter what your fear archetype is. Yeah. And I can actually... Now I can say without, you know, again, without having confirmed my uh, archetype, though I said procrastinator and uh, excuse maker um, or even pessimist, that the ones that stuck out for me in terms of the principles of courage, although they all did, was um, to just keep going, which to me, that's like the anti-adversity. You know, yes. if you come up with adversity, just keep going, get yes. back up again, you know. And I think then also the always own it mixed with there are no mistakes, only lessons. That's so funny because if there were three that like chorus directly correspond to the three that you met, the three fear archetypes that you mentioned, it would be exactly those. Yeah. So I feel pretty good <laughs> so about true. where I'm headed then. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's so absolutely true. But yes, abs- uh, I mean, we can talk about each of those indiv- individually, but the just keep going. I mean, that is really, that's where I feel like even through my own story and what I've learned, if I've learned one thing in life, it is that you you can do anything that you want to do. You can achieve anything that you want to achieve. You can get anywhere you want to get to, and it might take a while, but the key is to just not quit. Just keep going no matter what, because you can't, can't always control what happens to you or how people treat you or what bad things are going to come your way. But the one thing that you can control is how you decide to respond to it. And if you adopt a mentality, I am not going to quit then there is nothing that can stand in your way in in any endeavor in life, really. It sounds to me like Just Keep Going is almost uh, the, the seeds of what got planted in you when your dad was having you go get on the treadmill. Absolutely. And L- I didn't literally just keep going time. on the treadmill. <laughs> and I think that's important to remember, too, is because I can look back on that story and see all the lessons that were there. But at the time, it felt like it felt impossible. I mean, if you would have said to me back then that I would, I, you know, have any semblance of a normal life, much less have the life that I have now and, you know, a beautiful family and a job that I love and, and plenty of money, like all of these things that I would have never even 
in a million years imagined for myself. But at the time, it was just a matter of taking that one step and the next step and the next step. And I think now that I have the, the benefit of hindsight, I can look back and go, oh, that was all I did. And I think that has helped me now in my present life to realize anytime a piece of adversity comes my way, I look at that as a gift because I know that it's going to teach me something. And I know that overcoming that is going to be the thing that gives me the courage to do the next thing. Let's talk about this, um, th- that there's no mistakes, only lessons. For me, that's the perfectionist, uh, yes. the procrastinator there, that it's like, oh, if I can't get it right, why is it even worth doing? Oh, and that's so true. And so, so, so the procrastinator is actually the the number one archetype. And that's the number one fear for people is this fear of making a mistake. And honestly, I think if, again, if I've learned anything in, in my life as an entrepreneur, it's that... Every mistake is a lesson that helps me do something right. And when you can start to look at your life with that mentality, that even when you lose, you win because you're learning something. And that lesson is what's going to carry you on and do the next thing even better. Um, when you can start to adopt that mentality in everything that you do, then there's no, there's nothing that can stand in your way. And you don't have to be afraid of mistakes because you can, you can embrace them. Instead, you can embrace them as this opportunity to learn. And, and it's a win-win no matter what. I think that's the thing for me is like, I, well, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm aware of it. So, so what's great is, is like being aware of the fear and being even aware of the, the kind of the, kind of the antidote to that fear or, or I should say the real truth, not the fake truth that the fear yes. kind of presents you with. Right. Yes. So by having that understanding, by, I mean, that's, that's kind of the goal here, right? Is to, to, for people to go through the book and realize, you know, have a clarity on what your fears are, then get even more clarity on how they can deal with those. And then they can put an action plan in place and actually yes. act, even if exactly. they're still uh, fearful. Exactly. Because in it, it, it does start, it starts with the identity, like figuring out where this is happening. Because when it's happening subconsciously, you can't do anything about it. And then you got to work on your mindset. But then exactly like you said, then the next step is action. It's not enough to start changing the way your thought patterns, which is essential, but you have to also be willing to take the step. You can't think about the step. You got to take the step. Action is the antidote to fear. And that's, and, and I think that's where I go like really practical in the book, because I think for so many people, sometimes you can go, you can go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can talk about all this stuff and it's all great in theory, but how do I actually do it? How do I actually make this happen in my life? And so I give some really like super practical tips for how you can actually implement this and make this happen on a daily basis. Well, let's go there. Um, well, actually, what was the other one? There was one other one. What did I pick? It was the... Always the, own it. That's it. So that what's that one about? Because I know, you know, that one fits with me with... Uh, for me, that fits with me. It's almost like a, a sister or brother to the make no mistakes one, because yeah. it's almost being honest that you caused it, which can fe- feel really defeating to somebody if they're a perfectionist, but yes. it's almost the first step in realizing, oh, I made the mistake, but it's not a mistake. It's only a lesson. It's only a lesson. Well, and owning it is goes a little bit beyond that even. It's taking full ownership and 100% complete responsibility for everything that happens to you. And by that, I mean, I don't mean, you know, that you're at fault anytime something bad happens to you or somebody treats you badly, because that is 
you're not necessarily at fault, but if you allow that to be your, your excuse for not moving forward, or you allow yourself to get stuck in that, it it doesn't serve you. So, and and I say this in this chapter, even a good excuse is still an excuse. And there are so many people out there who will take the fact that they grew up in poverty or they didn't have access to the same opportunities that someone else had or because they had some sort of abuse in their life or some sort of hardship or their parents didn't treat them right or you know the list goes on and on or they experienced illness or they they don't have a lot of money whatever it is there's there's every excuse in the book and so many of those hardships are legitimate hardships. I'm not negating the pain. I I am not negating the pain of depression or of of of, of abuse or of any other hard thing that has happened in your life. That is real stuff. But allowing that to be the thing that holds you back does not serve you. And so if you can understand that about your life and if you can say it doesn't matter what's happened to me, it doesn't matter what opportunities I haven't had, it doesn't matter if life's not fair, it doesn't matter that somebody was mean to me somewhere or I had all of these hard things and adversity to go through. I am not going to accept that as my truth and my or I'm not going to accept that as my excuse in life for not doing the things that I want to do. And when you can make that decision, consciously make that decision to never allow excuses to be the thing that holds you back, that's when you also become unstoppable because you and it's so freeing because you get to take 100% ownership of of what happens to you. You don't have to wait for anybody else. It doesn't matter at that point what other people how other people treat you or what things come your way because we as we all know hardship is going to come. There's going to be something that throws you for a loop. There's going to be something that happens that's not fair or somebody does something that's kind of sucky or whatever it is in your life. But when you're when you've taken the ownership for it, then you don't have to be controlled by that anymore. You get to you get to call the shots and that's pretty amazing. So yeah. Getting into a point where you can say, I am, doesn't matter. My past does not define me. What has happened to me does not define me. What defines me from this point on is, is the choices that I make for myself. Yeah. It's, it's also owning that you have agency, that you have the ability to make a decision about what you're going to do with whatever happened to you in the past and that you still have the power to make a decision and, and decide your, pa- your, uh, your path moving forward. Yes. Yes, exactly. So speaking of path forward, this is where then if we've done our analysis of our fear, we've figured out uh, and really done our homework and gotten clarity on how we can then overcome that fear. It, it's not, you know, it's 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 almost like hurdling a wall. It's The wall's not going away, but we can now go over the wall and now we can actually go forward with an action plan. So what are some of the best ways to still act even though you're fearful? <laughs> well, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> you know, one thing, one thing I would suggest that you do Um, based on whatever your fear is, and this is, there's, I have some like macro ideas, like big picture ideas and some micro ideas. So this is a micro idea, but whatever your fear archetype is, once you've identified that. So for me, I'm, I'm the outcast. So my deepest fear is rejection. And the way that that often plays out in my life is that I will reject other people before I can be rejected in return. And one of the things that I have found to be really helpful in helping me overcome this fear is to practice rejection and practice 
practice putting myself out there in a way that would would allow me to be rejected and to become a little bit immune to it. So do you remember the, um, the movie, The Princess Bride? Oh, totally. Where, favorite. One <laughs> of my favorites. Such a good movie. Yes. Oh, I love it so much. So, you know, where Wesley and the the the, the guy, the little guy, whatever his name was, uh, Vincini, yes. are sitting there with the Iocane powder and, and Wesley, you know, wins this duel and explains that he's built up this immunity to Iocane powder. And that's why he doesn't die because the cups were both poisoned. And that's exactly, that's exactly the idea there. So you do little things to help build up your immunity. So for me, as an, as an outcast and dealing with this rejection, I have one thing that I've always been really afraid of in my business is to reach out to people and to put myself out there to, to pitch, to pitch people or to collaborate with other bloggers or other podcasters or, or anything to, to reach out and to say, Hey, you know, I'd love, I'd love to get to know you or, you know, Hey, would you ever consider having me as a podcast guest? You're this, you probably know where this is going because I think you received a message from me saying, Hey, <laughs> would you ever consider having me as a podcast guest? But that was, that was me practicing, um, overcoming this fear. And what happened is that I have some great accountability partners and they saw that that fear was really holding me back and, and in my business. And they said, you know what, you have got to get over this. You have got to practice pitching people. And so they made me, they made me pitch 20 people in 24 hours. (laughs) Wow. And I think you might have been one of those people um, in that first wave, but because um, they made a list of all the different people I needed to reach out to, and um, it was it was really funny. But what that did is it helped build up that immunity. But that's so, and it's funny because this is how you know that fears fears really impact people individually. Because as you're listening to this, I don't think outcast is your fear, so that you're probably listening to this going that doesn't sound that scary. And for anyone who's not an outcast listening to this, they're probably like, oh yeah, that doesn't really feel that scary. But then when I start to talk about if you're a procrastinator, well, what you need to maybe work on is practicing consciously practicing making mistakes and doing things, you know, doing things really quickly without without making sure that they're perfect or not revising things and putting and just publishing them and putting them out there without having to edit. What if you what if you were to do a podcast episode without giving yourself the option to edit anything? Oh gosh. Or, that's frightening. <laughs> right? So that's but that's exactly it. What if like what if you challenged yourself to just publish this podcast with any mistakes or or and and put that out there? If you can practice building up your immunity, that's when you can start to overcome the fear. So that's the on the micro level one of the like smaller day-to-day things that you can do to help yourself overcome your unique fear. But on a macro level, and this is more of a universal thing, regardless of what your fear archetype is, I'm a huge, huge believer in in giving yourself a target and setting and giving yourself permission to set bigger goals for yourself. You know, research shows and, and you talk a lot about productivity. So I'm sure, I'm sure you've talked a lot about goal setting and, mm-hmm. and all these different things. So, um, and you can cut in if you, if you have a different theory on, on any of this, but I'm a real firm believer in, in setting stretch goals for yourself. And, and I think so many people cut themselves off at the knees before they even, dare to dream before they've even given their, themselves permission to set that big goal. They're immediately thinking about all the ways that they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to make it happen. And so they can't even give themselves permission to have that as a goal because they don't know what the how is just yet. And so I tell people to start 
start by giving yourself permission to dream about the what without without needing to know the the how, how it's going to happen, because the how can come later. And then I talk very specifically about how to take that big goal once you have that big goal and break it down into smaller, more manageable bites that you start following through on every day. So with setting goals, so I will interject, but here I'll interject with somebody else's words because, uh, you know, I've kind of experienced them to be true for myself, at least. And uh, and maybe others have, too. It's uh, John Acuff talks about doing uh, setting smarter goals. And what that means is not doing like this all or nothing like I will succeed and and I will, you know, I will lose 10 pounds or, you know, and then if they lose eight, they, they feel like they failed. Yeah. And again, part of me, that's the perfectionist. It's like, oh, I didn't get the 10. I only got the eight. And so, um, and it happened where it was like, you know, you'd set, like, he'd be working with, with groups, uh, with research for that book. And it was like, they'd have, they'd have 30 days to, to, you know, they'd set a goal for 30 days. And a lot of people, they'd set like a 10 pound goal. And because they'd set it for 10, and then they'd start to maybe, you know, get off track a little bit, then they would just quit altogether. Whereas if they set it smaller for like five, it was easier for them to continue to maintain. And in fact, most of them actually blew past five because it was a smaller goal to to hit to. And that's almost the antithesis of a stretch goal in a weird way. Like a stretch goal is like, yeah. oh, I'm going to try and get further. So what do you think about the contrast between those two things? Um, you know, and I, I think that there's more than one way to do things in life. I don't mm-hmm. think there's ever all one answer. And I think that there's research that that backs up both philosophies. I think, you know, if you look at Charles Duhigg and the research that he's done, he really talks about st- stretch goals and how you how stretch goals are the things that will motivate us to start thinking thinking bigger and getting us more excited about what we're going after. Mm-hmm. And so that's the that's the area that I like to think about stretch goals. But it doesn't but I also know that it doesn't work for every single person. I do know people who get very demotivated when they feel like they can't attain something. So for some people it's going to be very motivating, for other people it's going to be very demotivating. But one of the things that I talk about real specifically is about like, it's not enough to just have the stretch goal. I think giving yourself a a bigger target and something to aim for is something that I firmly believe in because I've seen it. I've seen it work for so, so, so many people, but then you, you have to still break that down into things that are very attainable. I think sometimes the problem for so many people with stretch goals is not that the goal's too big, that it's demotivating. It's that the goal is not broken down enough and mm. that is demotivating because yes. we can nobody can 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 lose a hundred pounds tomorrow, right? So we need to know we need to have a way of connecting what we can do right now in this moment today with something that's going to connect us to that bigger goal. And so what I teach is a system called Think Big, Plan Small, and it's about creating these stretch goals and then breaking down those stretch goals into smaller, more manageable bites. So if you have a, this big dream for your life, then what what part of that big dream do you want to try to accomplish this year, which is still going to be probably a pretty big goal, right? You could have a whole year to do something. It's going to be more than losing five pounds. So what's that going to be? Um, so then you set your goal for the year that's going to get you closer to that lifetime goal. And then you take that goal for the year and you say, okay, now what do I need to do this month? I have 12 months in a year. So what is one twelfth of that goal going to look like? And what do I need to do this month that's going to get me closer to that goal for the year? But that's not enough. Then every single week you say, okay, 
what am I going to do this week that's going to get me closer to that goal for the month? And you're not thinking about the whole big goal, lifetime goal. You're thinking just in terms of the next piece, just in terms of how do I get closer to the goal for the month? You got four weeks in a month. What's one quarter of that goal for the month? And then every day you're doing something that's going to help you get that goal for the week done. And this is actually something I have a, I have a, members community called doing it scared that I literally once a week with my community, we sit down and we do this. We talk about, okay, what's your goal? What is, what are your goals for the week? How do those relate to your goals for the month? How do those relate to your big goals for the year? And it's the process of doing this over and over and over again. That is what's so powerful because then you can break it down into daily action. And and it, when you break it down that way, it sounds so simple. And I, I mean, you, you teach this for a living too. So I'm sure it, it like, it, as you know, for, for most people, it's not, that the concepts are difficult to understand. It's that they're difficult to implement because what happens for people is that we get so caught up in the, the in the whirlwind, in the tornado of all of the things that feel urgent and some big pie in the sky idea, idea, some big dream that's way out there in the future is never going to feel as urgent as the dinner that needs to be on the table or the laundry that needs to be done or the project that's due tomorrow that your boss has been asking you about. It's never going to feel as important as those things. And so we'll always put off the important stuff that's going to get us closer to our big goals in favor of the urgent unless we find a way to make them a daily part of our lives. Yeah, that's well put. And ultimately, that still feels like it's almost folding in both of those different goal setting versions into one. Yeah. So. And, and again, depending upon what the goal is or what your own personal psychology is in terms of what your hangups are, or what your fears are, even certain goals or certain goal setting approaches, I should say, are going to help you with certain goals. Like d- depending upon what the goal is, you might be best to do a stretch goal um, or to do it smaller. But I like I really like what you uh, you know just planned out in terms of the, the long term giant stretch goal broken down. Then in the the smallest of small increments of that giant stretch goal doesn't really feel like you're stretching, right? <laughs> it right. Just doesn't hurt to do it. You can just no. do it. No, and so. it's not scary. It's not scary that way. And I think that's what's. But what's hard about that is to prioritize it. And so that's what I really teach mm. people is that it's all about it's all about reframing the way that you think about them. So what I teach people to do is is to create your A tasks, your B tasks, and your C tasks for for the week. When we plan out our week, we talk about your A tasks, B tasks, and C tasks. A tasks are your must-do items. And the only thing that gets to fall into that category are things that are going to get you closer to your big goals and dreams. And for most people, that is such a paradigm shift that it almost like blows their mind for a while and they're really resistant to it because most people, what they put in their A tasks are the things that I say are B tasks. Those are your should do's. Those are the things that are your tornado, the urgent things, the things that feel more important than your A tasks in the moment. And so you have to force your brain to recategorize things and reprioritize things so that you're always making your A tasks first and blocking out time for those things first before you're making time for the things that historically you've always put first. Yeah. Those are the, I'm, I'm sure you're probably familiar with this and I'm, I, and I'm think I've mentioned it on the show or someone else has, but either way, the, 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 you know, the prioritization where, uh, you know, you've got a jar and you can only fit 
you've got big rocks, small rocks, and then tiny rocks. And oh, if yes. you put the small, if you put the tiny rocks in, then, you know, ultimately you can't fit the big rocks in if you don't put them in first. So, so those true. are, those are the A rocks basically. Absolutely. So, ultimately, you know, I need to now go do the assessment and start <laughs> from there moving forward. But uh, I know that uh, a lot of people are going to want to go do that as well as grab the book and even subscribe to your podcast, the Do It Scared podcast. And uh, I, I mean, if you want to share a little bit about what you talk on there, I think it's, you know, the same as what we're talking about here, but just broken down. Uh, I'm going to link to all of these things in the show notes. Uh, what's the URL for people to go try the uh, assessment? You can just go to doitscared.com and okay. everything is right there on Perfect. the homepage. So it's pretty easy to find. Perfect. So I'll link that up. I mean, if you, if you, uh, you know, if you're on your phone and you want to go check it out right now, just pull it out as you're listening to this and go straight over to doitscared.com. Uh, and if that's not correct, just click the show notes in the episode while you're playing it. And there you go. See, I'm being imperfect. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ruth, thank, th- yeah, Ruth, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great to be here, and uh, good luck doing it. Scared. Thanks. Well, that's another episode checked off your podcast listening to-do list. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Ruth Sukup. So make sure to head on over to the show notes for this episode so that you can go ahead and take the assessment, get more information on the book, and dig deeper on your fears and how they are holding you back. Whether you're aware of them now or not, you can find those show notes over at Beyond the to do list.com slash 274. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to think of that one person that you know should hear this episode. You know who I'm talking about. There's somebody as you were listening to this that you thought of, you know, so-and-so needs to hear this conversation. I think it would really help them out. Do them a favor. And at the same time, do me a favor by sharing this episode with them. You can find again, the share buttons for this episode over at beyondthetodolist.com slash 274, or just hit the share buttons inside of whatever podcast player you are listening to this show on, and I would be very grateful to you. Thanks again for listening. I really appreciate those of you who reach out and let me know. You can do that, by the way, by going to twitter.com slash Eric with a K, the letter J, F-I-S-H-E-R. That's the easiest way. And thanks again for listening. I'll see you next episode.